Hey, um, if you're listening to this episode um, around the time it came out, start of April 2020, then listen, I hope you are doing okay, whatever your situation is. I hope that no matter what shit you're being put through, uh, I hope that you've um, still got somewhere that you can escape to, even if you can't escape outside. You know, I hope that you can... uh, you can escape somewhere inside, in your head. My situation as a uh, chronic asthmatic, uh, that means that I can't really um, leave the house at all, sadly. Still, I'm uh, trying to locate my own personal routes of escape, i.e. There we go. I feel better already. Thank you, sound effects library. Absolutely worth the $5 for this. According to the file description, um, we're in an amusement park in Mexico. There's uh, probably someone selling churros nearby. The um, sun's just going down over the dodgem cars there. We're coming at a magic hour right now. The uh, the colours are going to start to pop. There's... Um, the faint smell of fresh paint in the air. I think someone recently went and painted over all those um, pictures of Michael Jackson that were on the side of the waltzer. They've turned them into, I don't know, Eminem or uh, Thanos or uh, uh, Gordon Ramsay. It's a uh, warm and pleasant evening. Well, I mean, the sounds of screaming children aren't particularly relaxing, I'll be honest. Overhead... If you look up, you can see there's a sea lions. A flock of sea lions with their hideous skeletal wings. Actually, I forget them. They're not, they're not in the spirit of this exercise. Um, oh, who's that? Walking towards us through the crowd, holding a candy floss. It's, uh, I think it's Oliver Postgate. Voice of... Beloved 70s children's television programme, Bagpuss. I think he's actually doing the Bagpuss voice. How unbelievably soothing. Who's that with him? I think he's talking to the spiritualist Ramdas. I had no idea they were friends. Anyway, what's important is that... uh, we go out of the house for a while. That's all that matters. It's just a wild walk, that's all. Now, that's at least one good thing about um, having a podcast and the fact that I make my podcast in my wardrobe. Uh, no matter what happens in this crisis, uh, I'm not going anywhere. Uh, Imaginary Advice is still going to be uploading new episodes monthly. And um, I've got some interesting things coming down the pipe if you want to get away from it all for 20 minutes um i'll be here if you've been a listener to the podcast for a while and um still have a secure income uh, i'd really appreciate you signing up to my patron for a couple of months for the foreseeable future this podcast is going to be my only revenue stream so yeah i'd really appreciate any additional support through this strange time if you can afford it the link is uh, patreon.com uh, or Patreon. 
I think I might well have been saying it wrong for the last 68 episodes. Oh, fuck it. you got to commit. Patreon.com. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com forward slash Ross G Sutherland. Um, if you can't afford to donate money, which I totally understand, uh, mentioning the show on social media or giving the show a review on iTunes, all that stuff makes a big difference too. I hate to ask you. I hate to ask you, but you know, I'm a one-man show with no advertising, so my patron is essential to keeping the lights on. Of course, um, huge cheers to um, any listeners who already do donate money. I owe you guys. Now, uh, this month's episode was originally scheduled for later in the year, but um, when the crisis hit, it, um, it made sense to bring it forward slightly. Caroline Bird is a British poet and playwright. She's the author of six collections of poetry. The first collection when she was 15 years old. Her latest, The Air Year, has just come out um, uh, just the end of last month. Caroline was supposed to have her book launch on March 26th, I think. But uh, sadly, the launch got cancelled. So instead... Yeah, I thought we could... um thought we could make this podcast episode a kind of virtual book launch. So here we are, standing in the second shelf bookshop, right in the heart of Soho. I've um, set up a nice drinks table right here by the door. Uh, Apple Tango there. Night Nurse there. Uh, I also made a um, chocolate mousse with creme de menthe. Don't have any of that. Hey! Ramdas is here as well. When that starts very early. And it seems like he brought his own microphone, so uh, that's going to be useful, I think. God, he got back quickly. He must have been on the same flight back from Mexico that we were on. We didn't even notice. So um, I recorded Caroline um, reading an extract from her book back in February in the Before Times. Uh, you're going to hear five poems in total. I'll tell you the titles now. Uh, they are Dive Bar, Love Burr, Nancy and the Torpedo, The Red Telephone, and then finally, The Ground. Um, I've tried to combine Caroline's poems with some additional sound design. That's my side of the collaboration. This is a kind of occasional, ongoing experiment on imaginary advice, where I try to work out ways of layering sound design onto a poem, hopefully without destroying the poem at the heart of it all. Uh, if you'd like to hear more episodes in this style, check out episode 61, where I do a similar treatment on the poetry of Luke Kennard, or um, episodes 48 or 41, where um, I try the same approach on my own poetry. <clears throat> uh, some people say to me, Ross, like, a poem is a perfect distilled thing. It's, it's, it's an ancient art form that strives for minimalism and simplicity why do you keep insisting on pairing this beautiful simplistic art form with video and with music like don't you have any respect for for the art form that you yourself work in and um and i say to those people well actually i don't say anything i just um i just put my hand lightly on their shoulder and then i just give them the tiniest of prods and uh, 
they fall into the bottomless pit that I excavated right behind them. Then I um, throw a couple of sea lions after them as well, keep them company. Okay, so the air year. I really love um, all the poems in the air year. It's such a fantastic collection. The whole book is uh, is full of this feeling of unsteady flight, of um, being lifted out of the familiar and navigating a whole new space. It's a whole book of leaps of faith. And uh, as such, I think it speaks um, really powerfully to this strange new world that we've all found ourselves in, this world of suspension and transition. It feels like we're all entering an air year. So, um, yeah, I'm honoured to be able to share some of Caroline's poems with you. I've also left in a little bit of mine and Caroline's discussion about the sound design because during that conversation, Caroline gave some really interesting additional insight into um, where the poems came from. So, uh, yeah, I thought you might like to hear that too. Okay, so. Here we go. I was commissioned to write a poem about gay pride, which I thought I would find easy because it's something I've thought about since I was 13. But um, uh, gay pride isn't like normal pride in the way that it's a counter emotion to being told to feel ashamed. And so it shouldn't have to exist, which means it's got a lot of resentment mixed in with the pride and hurt and sadness. I was researching this club called The Gateways, which is one of the few places that lesbians could meet safely in the 1930s and 40s in London. And the description of it on Wikipedia is through a green door down a steep flight of stairs into a windowless cellar. And I thought it was um, interesting that the literal description of a place is also a metaphor for how it would make you feel personally and politically. So this is a pride poem called Dive Bar. Through a red door, down a steep flight of stairs, into a windowless cellar with sweating walls, an ingenue in a smoking jacket sits astride a piano, as a host of swaying women sing your secret safe with me, and one invites you into the privacy of a kiss, all these dark clandestine places, and you find yourself imagining a very tiny woman walking straight into her mouth, through a red door, down a steep flight of throat, into a windowless cell with breathing walls. An ingenue in a smoke jacket sits astride a piano as a host of swallowed women sing your secrets in a safe. The barmaid shakes a custom cocktail she calls a private kiss. All these dark, half-eaten faces. And you find yourself imagining a tiny, tiny woman walking straight into her mouth. Through a red breath, down a dark thought, into a swallowed sense, with shrinking walls, an innuendo in stomach acid slops astride a piano. As a host of silent passions mouth your secret is yourself. 
inside the belly of the world, all these dark dissolving spaces, and you find yourself imagining a windowless woman breaking walls down in herself, sprinting up the shrinking halls and up contracting corridors and up the choking fits of hard stairs through dark thoughts and dead laws through the red door as it swallows shut behind you. Now you're spat out on the pavement with the sun just coming out. In your head, uh, the music being played inside. In my head, it's like 1930s. Mm. Like, you know, is that, is that, that, that thing about the... Um, one, one thing that kind of stops pe people from being angry about past discrimination is this sense of nostalgia for secrecy. Right, where you're like, oh, but it was like a speakeasy, and you know, when and, and you go down the dark and smooth, smoky, blah, 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 blah. Uh, but that's a trap in itself. It's like a nostalgia trap. A exclusive club, yeah, you know, exactly. for, for only those in the know. Exactly. Uh, and it, all that threat outside, it just gets yeah. like painted out. And we had our own culture, we all spoke Polari, and you know, <laughs> like it was, and it, because it, it, obviously it does create inventiveness but it's not it doesn't mean that you know we'd want to return to it so like when I'm reading it like at the beginning of the poem it's just kind of sexy mm. you know it's like you know invites you into the privacy of a kiss like oh yeah, yeah. and then the more the more privacy you get the worse it starts to make you feel something unsettling kind of creeping in well there's a thin line isn't there between like sexiness and illicitness and shame people think that like Cottaging is like unique to homosexual sex, but it's unique to something being made illegal yeah. that you then 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 starts to get lodged in the erotic imagination, hmm. you know, and you start to associate forbiddenness with sex, but it's not. Whereas if the social context would be different, I think it would be different, you know. Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. And it's a way of also stopping that stops people from. Kind of protesting because they're like, well, I, I wanted this, but that's what intelligent people do. They 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 reframe their their powerlessness into a choice. It's also even more complicated than that, isn't it? Because it also is sexy simultaneously. But whatever. Anyway, blah blah blah. This is why you write a poem, isn't it? Yeah. You can't paraphrase it, so I don't know why I'm bothering. <laughs> I asked myself one of those insufferable questions that. Sometimes I do like to create a poem, uh, which was, "What if my entire romantic history um, was translated into a town? What would that town look like?" And th th the title is a terrible pun, but I think you're allowed one terrible pun per book. Um, so this is mine. It's called Loveborough. No one dies here or chews their food properly. We break bread rolls in half and choke until we gulp. We stay up all night talking animatedly to dial tones. We hit small children whenever we gesticulate. Occasionally someone faints and we hold a funeral, then applaud and cheer when they inevitably revive, shouting it's a miracle. We shout miracle a lot when the coffee is drinkable, when the drizzle stops. I 
Our tenement buildings are modelled after comfortable Scandinavian prisons. So we get our groceries home delivered, chill out most of the year, lightly repent. Everyone has a running machine facing a blue wall. The most beautiful woman in the world around here is called Samantha and she loves me. She sent a letter telling me so. I read it to my cactus and it flowered. My yearning often paralyzes me in my armchair for entire days. The phone just rings and rings. Samantha leaves long voicemails screaming, wake up, petrified I'm dead. She's adorable like that. I'm an addict. I keep a pill on the roof of my mouth, but never swallow it. I will never swallow it. No one dies here or grinds their pepper. We pour peppercorns onto our pasta. In the crumbling music halls, we sing about finality, but then trail off before the last verse, laugh, pour a big wine. We don't end romances, we let them overlap indefinitely until we forget their names. Christmas is a shit show. Everything comes out. We spend ages stuffing all the lies back into ourselves. Samantha says she wants to move to a different town. She says our local traditions are enfeebling. Our quicksand foot spas, our seated silent discos, our in-house pub crawls, just crawling around a pub, our shame bracelets. She says she could love me forever if I ran away with her to somewhere bright with breathable fabrics, without the faces of ex-lovers placid on all the billboards plus their phone numbers, a place where people are allowed to move on, get well, find a different answer to their lives. But I'm your answer, I say, and you're mine. Why would you want to find an answer that isn't me? She sighs and says, Oh, Caroline, in that hurt twang, like I'm missing the point. I put on Suzanne by Leonard Cohen, but she kicks the record player shouting, no, I will not touch your perfect body with my mind. I want a nourishing relationship. But then storms off before I can feed her an orange. I lie beneath the bubbles of my bath all day, breathing through a curly straw. Samantha's not like the others. She expects something from me. I wish I knew what... Nancy found an entire torpedo in the forest, just lying there like a beached whale, coated in wet leaves and decorated with glittering snail trails. It's a fucking torpedo, she said. Is it live, I said. I didn't know how torpedoes worked. Were they like mines? It's inert, she said, suddenly an expert. Torpedoes don't explode on land. Everyone knows that. She whistled like a plumber, surveying a damp patch. He's a beauty, all right. I reckon he weighs at least 600 pounds. 640, I'd say. 
He, I said. But Nancy was already straddling it, spanking its rudder like the rump of a prize horse. What's a torpedo doing in a forest? Nancy rolled her eyes. You always ask the most obvious questions, don't you? Can't you just enjoy the moment? She'd already unzipped her trousers and was touching herself, grinding up against the girth of the weapon and groaning gently. Careful, I said. Her orgasm gathered to a scream. She pressed her sweating face on the warhead and fell asleep on top of it. The torpedo precisely matched the length of her body. To my tired gaze, it seemed as if they were both breathing, Nancy and the torpedo, their chests rising and falling together like unsuspecting ocean waves. I pictured them both in action, underwater, Nancy's legs wrapped around its speeding shaft, her red eyes fixed like sniper dots on the target ahead, a string of bubbles flying out behind her like a chiffon scarf. Eventually she woke, refreshed and cheerful, patted the torpedo goodbye, hoisted on her backpack, and we continued our journey as if nothing had happened. Where are we going? she'd ask, every ten minutes or so. We've just got to keep moving, I'd reply, pointing in some arbitrary direction and striding with purpose, trying to channel the sexual energy of a self-propelled missile. Keep on moving. The dread swished around my gums like someone else's tongue. If I had owned a penis, it would have secretly shriveled in my pants. We've passed this clearing before, Nancy said. Different clearing, I said. Those are our footprints from four days ago, she said. Different footprints, I said. Then we saw the torpedo. Nancy laughed. I suppose you're going to tell me that's a different torpedo. It was getting dark and cold. I love you, I just love you so much, I said, as Nancy remounted, hugging it and whispering into its back, her mouth almost kissing the metal. That's when I lost it. I'm sorry I'm not a fucking torpedo. I can't blast through shit, I'm lost and I'm useless and I've got no fucking idea where I am or what I'm doing. There, I said it, so go ahead and dump me because I'm a piece of shit. There was a long silence. Nancy straightened her spine like a dressage rider, looked at me for an age, then said, How many times do I have to prove it to you? Prove what? I said. She sighed. What could be more useless and impotent than a dud torpedo in a forest? I don't understand, I said. She peeled a snail from its propeller and threw it at me. I know exactly who you are, she said, slapping the steel. You and him are headed in the same direction. You mean nowhere. She unzipped her trousers and reached down. Fat tears appeared on her cheeks like rain. I didn't understand why she was crying. You stupid idiot, she said, her breath quickening as she rubbed and grinded. Can't you see I'm doing this for you? Can't you see I'm exploding for the both of us? When she phoned to say, I'm shivering in the rain. You hung up and cried. When she phoned to say, I popped a few mystery pills, now I'm swaying on a bridge. You said, I wish things were different. And cried.
when she phoned to say, I'm on the floor and a man dressed as a centurion is standing over me holding a cinder block. You said, crying, thank you for the information. When she texted to say, I'm purplish, my nose feels like a hole, all I can see is a storm grate crudded with yellowness behind my eyes. You replied, I love you. And then you cried. When she emailed to say, I'm falling asleep with a cigarette in my hand and my room smells of petrol. You typed, God, that sounds awful, I'm so sorry. Then wrote her this poem whilst crying. Now her house is burning down and you're still writing. This poem will not drop everything, sit up, get up from this stale sheet and go to her. Look, it's just sitting here. And when her ghost returns to you in the night, trailing plumes of smoke like various scarves, crying, where were you? Through your tears, confused, you'll say, but you never asked, you never said, you never told me to come. Thanks again to Caroline Bird. We're going to hear one more poem from Caroline in a second to close out. But before we do, let me just quickly say thanks again for listening. If uh, you're looking for additional things to do, I um, I also uh, last year made a creative writing series for Audible called The Burnt Notebook. That's uh, six essays on creative writing. I, I don't get paid for advertising Audible, so I won't. But uh, you can always get a free trial if you wanted to listen to it. Finally, uh, please, please look after yourself. These are unprecedented times. There is no new normal, not yet. You know, like, it feels like the paradigm shifts every single day. My plan is just, I don't know, concentrate on the present the best I can. Just concern myself with what needs to happen today. You know, try to rebuild the present before I start worrying about the future. Just remember that um, whatever situation you're experiencing, you're not alone. There are others going through the same thing as you. And uh, although we're stepping into the unknown, we are stepping into it together. You land on a ridge six feet down the cliff and believe you have fallen from the dread summit and survived. You think, this is the ground. Till you notice the larks passing at eye level. Drop a cufflink and fall 50 feet into the open palm of another ridge. Deeper in, scratched, clothes torn, you've lost a shoe, but you think, this is the ground. I can bake that lasagna now till a kite gets snagged in your hair. Your feet meet a plunging carpet. Now you're hanging by your necklace from a branch thinking, this is the ground, let's buy a puppy. As you sit in your bracken chair, 
as you fall in your chair like a lopped flower head, face planting, yes, ground in a tree. Wind burnt for momentum, whiplashed by your own screams, oops, oops, then oops, straddling a lamppost, a pillar, a shed, each time believing this is the ground. Believing you've survived, falling, landing, falling out, who knows how long you've been travelling down this thing. Held in the loosening, tightening fist of a giant with a featureless face. Thud. At last, I can put up that shelf. Make that baby. You lie and let your bones heal. Looking up at the distance, experiencing plateau for the first time. Cold, hard, real, the opposite of air. You shake like a prodigal astronaut. I could build a house on this, you think, staggering off. Advice. Advice.